0: So today is a unique time for college admissions and enrollment marketing, as you all are probably well aware. By 2027, the number of names nationally available for search is expected to drop by 38%, according to Forbes. A shifting public perception of college and post-high school plans, along with this drop in the young adult population, has shrunk the pool of college applicants. With these enrollment and search cliffs, You all are faced with the challenge and opportunity of diversifying your lead generation strategies and tapping into true content personalization. Perhaps an even greater challenge is setting aside the resources needed to pursue these new avenues to reach students. So with budget season in full swing, my colleague Ashley Murphy and I are excited to lead this podcast episode. We both come from your world of college admissions and are now on the SCORE team. I'm a customer success expert on the team, and Ashley's a product manager focusing on integrations between score and admissions CRM systems. So we'll kick it off with some intros, and then we'll get into budgeting in this new environment. Ashley, can you start by sharing a little bit more about your background?
1: Yeah, so I've been in college admissions for about 20 years I started in admissions straight out of college as a receptionist in the undergraduate admissions office at Stevens Institute of Technology. That role evolved to a coordinator position where I was responsible for campus visits and interviews. And I went on to be an assistant director there and to oversee pre-college programs for a few years before I moved on to NYU, where I was associate director and then the director of admissions for the School of Professional Studies. I moved out to Oregon, where I was fortunate to be a part of the team recruiting and supporting the graduate business programs at Oregon State University. My family then relocated to Pennsylvania, where I live now, and I served as Director of Admissions and Associate Dean for Admissions and Financial Aid at Pennsylvania College of Technology, which is an affiliate of Penn State University. And about five years ago, I changed directions to really dig into the technology that supports enrollment management. I was consulting for a number of different institutions for a few years before I joined the SCORE team just about one year ago today. Um, So having been responsible for enrollment and budget planning at a few different places, I'm excited to be a part of this conversation today. I remember the early days of having these responsibilities and feeling really unsure and I really feel for the younger professionals who are in need of some good guidance, as well as the more seasoned ones looking to try to something new. So I hope you'll all find some helpful information
0: and in what we have to share today. Ashley, thanks so much. The breadth of your experience is really impressive. So I'm excited for this conversation as well. I'll injure myself. Um, my experience is not as broad as Ashley's, but as mentioned earlier, I do come from the higher education space where I spent around 10 years I also got started at a front desk working in the alumni relations office at the University of Pennsylvania at that front desk. That morphed into a position with the Penn Alumni Interview Program. I also worked part-time reading applications for Wharton's MBA program, which led to a real love of undergraduate admissions. I did a hard pivot and headed up to Lewiston, Maine, to work at Bates College, a small liberal arts and sciences institution where I wore a number of hats, as you do at small schools. Um, I also assisted with events on campus programming, but my real focus was on marketing and communications. So thinking about what we were saying to students, how we were presenting the institution, and then later on in my career, thinking more broadly about how we were building our funnel, what vendors we were working with, and how we could grow that applicant funnel um, with students who might be a good fit for the institution. So Spent most of my time in that marketing and communication space and then a bit of it connecting with our team over budget. So excited to share my experience as well and to learn from Ashley's too. Um, And I think we should just dive right into it. The first question I have for you, Ashley, what do you think was most helpful for you during budget season? We're, We're kind of in it right now, depending on the school, but for you, what was most helpful during this time of year?
1: Yeah, for me, I think it was really about keeping good notes. So you have some context for making decisions. So when you're planning your budget, obviously it's good to look at budgets versus actuals and your spending uh, for the year or two or so prior to see how things shook out. But that information isn't all that useful without some context. So that's where the notes come in. I think it's really difficult to make sense of budget performance without some detail on what really happened or what you anticipate to be ahead of you in the coming year. Um, So this could be taking notes throughout the year and documenting, like as a really simple example, maybe you underspent on something as simple as student ambassador uniforms. uh, And that could be because three more students than you anticipated returned and they kept existing uniforms. But if you were to look at that without that note, you may not understand why the budget line was underspent. Um, And then you could also anticipate as you're doing your hiring and looking forward to next year that now you know you have six new openings to fill and an additional spend on uniforms there. So that's just a really simple example. But things that may seem like they'll be fairly consistent from year to year, like ambassador clothing, provided you don't have a big disruption, like a branding change or something like that, which could be a subject for another example, um, that can sometimes have larger fluctuations based on different variables. So taking the time to take notes of these things while they're happening will help you from having to really scratch your head uh, when you're under the pressure of budget season, trying to remember why one year looked so different from another.
0: That's really helpful. I like that practical example, Um of the uniforms. I, part of my answer was related to that, of keeping really good notes and having a deep understanding of everything that goes into getting a certain result. Even in the smallest admission offices, I think we can sometimes be siloed and budget can be sliced up depending on how your office is structured. So for me during budget season, what was really helpful was having a lot of conversations with my colleagues and seeing what they were playing with and how they were operating. And trying to make sure we were thinking strategically and holistically about where our dollars were going. So trying to remove those silos. You know, for example, if the goal is to bring in more students from the West in your funnel, it's not just name buys that are getting you there. You're also thinking about travel, targeted advertising, events that you might be hosting. So while there might be a person who focuses on in-person recruitment and another person who looks at name buys, we're all working towards the same goal. So kind of trying to remove those silos. And then the other piece for me related to that is just stepping way, way back. You might not at this time of year feel like you have a lot of energy or brain space to do this, but I think reevaluating and looking at end goals and thinking critically about what we're doing to reach those goals and where dollars are being spent is a good exercise to take. Again, this time of year, it might be challenging to dig into that more deeply. Summertime might provide some more freedom to think broadly, but to think holistically about your resources, to think outside the box, to think about those end goals and how each member of your team is contributing to those end goals and how each budget dollar is contributing to those end goals so that you're not being stagnant with how you're spending money. You're not just doing it the same way every time, um, but you're thinking proactively and critically about where dollars are going. And if it might make sense to make a change, make a shift, buy new uniforms, bring on a new vendor, not travel to a certain location because you're not seeing good returns, et cetera. So thinking critically that way. Yeah. I would just really second that knowing
1: your ROI. I think that's a huge piece of Planning um, and being thoughtful and not being afraid to say, I don't know how to calculate ROI or I need help in how we manage our data around what we're doing so that you can calculate it. Um, I think, you know, obviously I'm a systems person now, so I will really uh, lean into this piece in particular, but I think this really requires your team to have strong data management operations. Um, You really can't calculate return if you're not tracking your efforts somewhere. And hopefully you have a well-built CRM system, but even the best CRM system can only give you what you put into it. Um, So this often requires taking a step back. Liz, you just said that, taking that step back and taking a big picture look at what you're doing. And when it comes to the data and the tracking piece of that, it's organizing all those efforts into the different categories and making sure that you're tracking them in your system in some way by those categories. So maybe an example is you're looking at the return on your recruitment events. So you might start with broad categories like events, mailing, search services, travel, et cetera. And you have to ensure then that your system's able to track all those activities into one of those buckets. So at a very high level, you can then at the very least run some analytics on what percentage of your accepted or enrolled students or really any population you might want to understand better either were sourced from that category or had a touch point or multiple touch points in that category. And then you can even drill down to a more granular level. Like if we take events category, for example, then we can make sure each event falls into a more specific subcategory that you can also track, like open houses, webinars, junior visit days, or campus tours. So then maybe you can see that you get a good return on events and then specifically which events are the most impactful and which ones might you want to cut or rethink. It's really helpful to be able to validate what you're doing when you have good data and good statistics behind it. Do you ever have a mistake maybe that you made budgeting and I uh, want to share some things that you learned from it?
0: Yeah, well, really it's quite related to what you were just speaking to Ashley. It was I think early on not recognizing the importance of tracking everything that we were doing in a clean and orderly fashion. In the admission space, you move so quickly. You always have competing priorities and doing something like what you just spoke to putting systems into place to track things. It's like some work that might go unnoticed. It's kind of the unsexy work of marketing, right? Is putting that tracking into place, but it is so hypercritical. So that was an early mistake on my end was Not thinking critically about who I needed to talk to to get systems in place so that we could track the work that we were doing. We definitely got more sophisticated with time. Our partnership with our CRM and the individual who managed our CRM really accelerated the sophistication of us being able to track things. Yeah, that was definitely a hard learned lesson to go ahead and make sure that we're tracking everything in the space. So, yeah, great, great question, Ashley. How about you? Any mistakes that you learned from your time? budgeting? Oh, sure.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think a big one is really feeling like you have to do something just because it's the way it's always been done. And again, it kind of goes back to tracking outcomes. Um, If you're not really tracking outcomes, you really don't have a good way to argue for something different. An example of this for me was high school visits. And you touched upon this a little bit, too. You know, this was several years ago. So things looked a little different, but uh, we were spending a huge portion of our recruitment budget on high school visit travel and replicating the same schedules year over year. Uh, But when we finally took a look at the return on those visits, only a very, very small percentage of our pool came from or had an interaction with us at a high school visit. And these visits were keeping our counselors out of the office for a good chunk of the fall. Um, even some of the spring, as you know. And in fact, we found that it was personal visits that were having the greatest impact on converting our funnel. So that's when prospective students would come to campus and have a personal appointment with a counselor, tour campus, meet with faculty. Those were the most impactful. But most of the time, our counselors weren't in the office to actually hold those types of visits. But once we had the data to really back this argument, And we were able to go into our budget meeting armed with that information and not just a feeling about something that we needed to do differently. When we showed the data, we got support for pulling back on travel, which at the time was really unheard of, in favor of being more present in the office for these personal visits and outreach. And then you can consider moving some of those dollars toward making personal visits really special. Obviously, we didn't want to forget about the importance of building relationships with school counselors and high schools. But instead of the big spend on travel, we developed a campaign that focused on awareness and relationship building really outside the noise of visit planning, which can not only be overwhelming for your counselors, but also overwhelming for school counselors too. So it allowed us to just kind of
0: pivot in a number of different ways, which was good. I love that concept, Ashley, of using data to support risk-taking in the admission space. Um, it's a, a pretty close space often, and there are things you do and you don't do. But like you said, when you're armed with good data insights, you can think critically about some of that work. And that was actually something I was hoping to talk about today as well was that, that risk-taking concept. So yeah, I think the concept of risk-taking is a great one, something that I enjoy talking about. I feel like I knew just enough but not too much to feel comfortable trying to take some risks in the work that I did. And one example of that was actually partnering with Score. So before I worked at Score, I suggested that we partner with Score as part of our lead generation strategy. Score was relatively new at the time. I really liked the interface for visits, had an opportunity to talk with our sales rep, Lauren, who is still at the company, and she's fantastic. She was really straightforward about the offering. It was very different than what I was used to. But in my mind, looking at how certain elements of our strategy were performing, I thought there was maybe something we could do more. So we looked at SCORE as a a short-term experiment. Let's look at this for a year. Let's put up some dollars into this new platform and see what the return is. And then if we had good returns, great, let's continue with the partnership. If the returns weren't strong, okay, we can pivot away from it. Um, Ended up having a fantastic experience with the platform, but what I... Valued about that experience, again, was taking a targeted, calculated risk to Ashley's earlier point, tracking everything, seeing how we were performing against other ways that we were connecting with prospective students, and then using that information to make informed decisions. So, you know, really like that risk-taking piece that you called out. How about you? Other things that you feel like you've learned about college budgeting broadly in your time in the admissions space?
1: Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with the admissions game wherever you podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'll speak a little bit to that idea of taking risks again. I mean, I just just to echo like it doesn't really mean that it has to be casting a wide net or aimlessly grabbing onto every platform or service because you're afraid of what might happen if you don't. I think that's a common theme is this fear of missing out of what if we're not there? What if we're not present on that platform? What if we don't engage with that vendor? There's a lot of services and vendors out there, but who and how you decide to engage with should directly relate to your strategy and what your targets are. If a vendor can provide value in multiple areas, that's great, that's even better because especially, again, I'm going to talk from a systems perspective, but when you get a whole slew of third parties mixing into your system, not only are you spending more money, so relating back to budgeting, but you might be bringing in overlapping and sometimes conflicting data into your system. And it also puts additional stressors on your staff to manage these relationships and integrations. Um, So again, going back to really asking questions about outcomes when you're engaging in conversations with third parties that might be looking to help you grow your funnel or meet your strategy goals, um, really understanding those outcomes, providing good reason to try something new and I also think it's giving yourself a reasonable amount of time for something to get legs like that was a big thing for me is having to not only have the data behind taking that risk and trying something new, But also advocating that you really can't expect each new effort to translate to immediate success. Things need time to breathe, and you should reflect that in your budget and in your enrollment goals, you know, to really reflect when you expect to see some return. It may not be immediate, and that needs to be planned for um, but you really absolutely should have a very specific metrics by which you'll determine whether or not to continue with a venture or an effort. You know, just asking yourself, what's the return you're looking for and over what period of time? So those were some things that were helpful.
0: I really like that you called out the disruption that sometimes those risks can create in the office, but how if you're thoughtful about those disruptions and you acknowledge you know, signing on for something doesn't just mean handing over a check and it magically appearing. It means, you know, different individuals in the office might be participating in different ways, having a game plan for that ahead of time, making sure that everyone feels like they understand why we're doing this. And like you mentioned, for how long we'll be looking at this, bringing people along with you rather than foisting things on your colleagues makes for a much more successful launch. And then again, to your point, Giving yourself time to see successes within something. I think part of the challenge in admission with budgeting is we're operating from being on our heels so frequently. There's too many demands, there are too many priorities. So it can be hard to carve out space to step way back, to put those systems in place to track things, to properly educate your colleagues on why you might be taking a different strategy. But if you can, create that space and do that in the short term on the front end of things, you'll have a much more successful launch, more successful experiments in the long term. So okay, we just dug into a lot of the things that you and I learned in our experience uh, in relation to budgeting. How did you actually implement what you learned into your experiences at the different institutions you worked at?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is that is important. I think one of the things I found to be really helpful was involving different members of my staff in the budgeting process. This not only helped with keeping good notes along the way, which I talked about earlier, um, You know, it really didn't make sense for me to be solely responsible for keeping track of all the details because I wasn't the one solely responsible for executing and managing everything we were doing, but also allowed us to be a little bit more nimble, which I think is really important as well. Sometimes you've gotta be able to make some decisions on the fly and empowering your more frontline folks to be able to use their discretion. Well, maybe that's like on the road when they have to add refreshments to an event or tack on a second day of coffee chats because attendance at a high school visit is off the charts. You know, It doesn't confine you to do only what you planned for. Sometimes plans get stale and you need to pivot, but having too many hoops to jump through for permission can run the risk of missing out on those opportunities. You know, of course, I'd also suggest staying close to spending and having regular check-ins throughout the year so there aren't any surprises at the end of the day. But this, you know, allows you to be more flexible. It also gives earlier budgeting experience to younger staff. I said in my intro that I really feel for the new director, the new person who's in charge of budgets and maybe has no idea what they're doing, maybe wasn't handed down a really developed model So this approach allows younger staff to get their feet wet. I think it's great professional development, super useful exposure to a critical element as younger folks work to advance their careers. Um, Yeah, so Liz, as, as colleges are thinking about enrollment marketing strategies, you know, especially considering changes to enrollment marketing today, are there any tools or services that you think colleges should be considering?
0: Yeah, in terms of tools and services, I would say that, uh, I mean, obviously score, but let's take a broader approach. My biggest recommendation is not to put all of your eggs in one basket and to start thinking creatively. And this Ashley definitely seems to be a theme. And as we're talking through this, this idea of thinking creatively, being fresh about things, you definitely don't have to start fresh on everything all at once. Right. It's disruptive. You don't need to operate from a place of panic, but conducting a few thoughtful experiments makes a lot of sense. So keep that foundation and build off of it. And to Ashley's earlier point, make sure you're tracking any of those experiments that you're engaging in. And again, with tools and services, diversify. Things are changing so quickly. So it makes sense to have a bunch of different ways that you're building and growing within each part of your office. So- considering that diversification. How about you, Ashley, any tools or services that you think folks should be considering?
1: I don't know that I have a specific recommendation, but I do think that it's really important for admissions side of the house to come prepared to the conversation. So there's a lot of noise out there with different vendors and different services, and it can feel really overwhelming to know Uh, which ones you should take advantage of, which ones will be beneficial to you. And you really are the only ones that can answer that question. It has to be like a a conversation and a partnership. Uh, Obviously your goal is to establish good rapport with whatever vendors you decide to work with. And then for those vendors to make recommendations and use their expertise to help you and um, meeting your goals, and executing on your strategies. But until you're to that point, I'd say don't necessarily rely on a vendor to tell you what you need. I think it's super important to come to the conversation with a clear understanding of your goals and where you have gaps in your ability to execute. It's those gaps that you should be looking to fill with these partnerships and solutions. Um, I really think that heavily depends on the makeup of your team, your in-house strengths, and of course what your goals are, which can look really different from college to college. Was there anything that you have found to be helpful to kind of weed through the noise of of all the pitches that might be coming your way as a admissions person um, trying to figure out where to spend your money?
0: Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, first for me always is that I love a good spreadsheet. You know, when you're in the trenches and you're so, so busy, I used to go ahead and take any messages from vendors, throw them into a folder. And then eventually when I had a minute of time, put them into a spreadsheet, it was usually relatively messy and quick, but I'd be able to surface that spreadsheet every once in a while during our marketing meetings. And we'd add more information to the spreadsheet. So we had a lay of the land. Not everything that you're receiving is crap. Some of it's really good. and There's some really interesting, innovative companies and organizations out there that are thinking critically about how to solve problems in unique ways. So I didn't want to be missing any of that throughout the noise. So that spreadsheet really helped me just quickly grab things, get a sense of them, and then at a relatively regular cadence, fill in some gaps and say, this actually does seem really interesting. Maybe we should do A deeper dive into that company that organization what is it how old is it who are they working with what can they do that's different to your earlier point ashley what holes do we have in our office that we're looking to fill so the the good old-fashioned spreadsheet really (laughs) served me well the other layer to you know thinking about cutting through the noise is sales folks will often send messages to a bunch of people in the office so As an office, having an idea of whose job it is to do the research and stay ahead of the trends makes a lot of sense so that, you know, someone down the hall isn't saying, yes, I want to hear this pitch while the next person, you know, two minutes later is saying, I don't want to hear the pitch, right? So I think as an office, designating someone that's going to be looking at any vendor communication, which, you know, might be a tough job, but again, if you're an organized person, shouldn't be too hard. And having that person again be the point person for those vendor conversations. So you're not having dueling conversations and being inefficient in the process. And then the other one is super duper practical. If you're getting hit frequently from someone who's reaching out on the sales team, one, it's their job. Don't be mean to them. (laughs) They're doing their best day to day. But also you can be honest and upfront with them. Hey, we don't have any more budget dollars for this year. You know, if you'd like to reach out to me again in July when we get our new budget. Or, hey, we're not signing on with any new vendors right now. So being upfront with those folks can save you some time and reduce some of that noise. And again, I think it's respecting them and then they can respect you and your time as well. So talking about tactical elements of budgeting strategy... Question for you, Ashley, how can colleges figure out what to add and subtract from their budget? There's so much hesitance to give something up, to add something new. How can college leaders come to terms with this or reframe these shifts in their budget?
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure, the the thing I loved the most about working at admissions was really having the opportunity to be creative. So obviously it's always easier to decide on things you want to add, more things that you want to do. While the trickier part for sure is figuring out what you can cut in order to introduce something new. And again, I'll speak to the fact that for me, it often came with some fear that cutting something is all of a sudden going to tank your numbers, even though you could look at that effort and you could see that it hadn't been performing since the dawn of time, but maybe this is the year, this is the year it's really gonna make a difference. So again, it goes back to setting metrics when you introduce something new, how much time are you going to give this thing to perform and what does success really constitute in that performance and if it doesn't meet those goals, then you have a clear picture of when you need to let it go. Or perhaps you've shifted direction somewhere and this one thing no longer serves the original purpose, then get rid of it and shift those dollars to something that does. But you really have to get out of that fear space and really be very clear with what your objectives are and what constitutes success when you're introducing something new. And then having the ability to be able to make the hard decision to say, we're going to let this go because even though when we planned for it, we thought it would work that wasn't the case. Or maybe it did work for a period of time, but now we're moving on to something new.
0: I like that. And I'd actually, the one piece I'd add to that or a way to build off of that is not just looking at your goals for this year, but what are your goals for this year? What are your goals in two years? What are your goals in five years, in 10 years for your institution to start working towards those larger goals now? I think there's a, often a feeling in higher ed that everything needs to happen in this immediate moment, which can often keep teams from working thoughtfully, methodically towards specific goals. So recommendation to not fall into that trap, hold your ground. We're implementing this this year. We're implementing that next year. In three years, we're going to be considering blank. And that way you're working in a strategic way towards longer range goals. And that can sometimes help again with that larger budget conversation of what to cut.
1: So when you, I know you were a little closer to the marketing and communications world more recently than me, do you have any ideas? So we talked a lot about what to cut, what where to spend, what are some low cost, high reward strategies that colleges might think about as they're doing their planning? Super
0: question. So from my perspective, everything right now, especially for this generation of students is about authenticity and building connection. Um, and that's really at odds with the broadly generic appeal to everyone content of your that we you know traditionally engaged in in the admissions space. So my recommendation is to try to bring in different voices. This takes some upfront work to build structure, to create a clear project, to create clear expectations. But with a little bit of coaching, I've found that you can really find gold. You can elevate some really interesting, unique voices. You can help. High school students feel seen and heard in a student that might be reflected on their campus. A couple of different avenues that this could take, this idea of harnessing the people around you, their energy, their experience, their um, excitement for the institution. That first group is obviously going to be students. So if you can figure out how to wrangle their energy, passion, and talent, you're on your way to a much more dynamic, authentic and affordable uh, content for your emails, for your social spaces, for your score messages, etc. And it's not just them giving something to you. I think it's really important to think of how to frame a project so that they're learning from the experience as well. Students who are working in your office want to build their resume. So my recommendation is to structure their work so that they're able to say in a future interview or on their resume, they created content for this number of students, they maintained a blank percent open rate, a blank percent click rate, et cetera, uh, make sure you're framing their initiatives in a way that allows them to develop professionally. And then my pro tip when you're asking students to create content is to not include their class year. Just name comma freshman, name comma sophomore. This allows you to reuse great content year after year so it doesn't go stale so quickly. Um, So students would be a really great group to harness professors can often be a great resource i know they're often relatively busy but i'm sure you have a couple of friendlies on your campus that recognize the importance of the work in the admission office maybe they're looking to build a program on your campus etc giving them time and space to create some content for you can often be fruitful and letting that content speak to their deep passion for their academic area of study can be cool it doesn't have to fit into a specific mold of three sentences if you have a professor that wants to go on for you know, three paragraphs about something super geeky in their field, there's a chance that that student who's interested in that field will also find those three paragraphs really interesting. So professors can be another great resource. Um, And then staff. I think staff on college campuses can often get overlooked. Folks who are working in your writing center, your chaplain, your head of dining. These are people who know your campus intimately They love it, they're excited to connect with students and do connect with students every day so they can often bring a really nice perspective. The fourth group would be alumni. Again, a little bit more involved because often those folks are not on campus but they can be another great resource for creating um, really nice authentic content, elevating different voices in an interesting way. Related to that, if you don't have time to coach up these groups or provide clear expectations, clear projects for them, poach great existing content. So recommendation would be to go talk to your marketing teams about your new sites, stories they've worked on, photo essays, et cetera. I think in the admissions space, we often get into these cycles of creating new when there's so much good that already exists out there. So you don't have to create new all of the time. There's a lot of great content that already exists in your space. In talking about existing content that's out there, My recommendation is to think about how you can keep people consuming it. One really clear example of this, on YouTube, you should have clear playlists. Opt for a channel with lots of content versus many channels with limited content. So when a student clicks on that YouTube video about student life, they're not just seeing one video on your dining hall, they're also seeing seven other videos that relate to living on campus. Um, So again, try to think about encouraging consumption of the good content that exists, pulling those good pieces of content together. Another example of that on a lot of institutions have news sites. See if there's a way of tagging that content and making it searchable so that if parents and guardians want to learn about student outcomes, they can quickly click on alumni and see 40 stories of really successful graduates and what they're doing. And they can see all of the impressive things that are happening on your campus. Or if a student is really passionate about the arts. They can click on that arts tab and then read all of the stories that you've had over the last 10 years about arts on your campus. Your campus isn't limited to the last year, right? It's a culture and environment that has been built upon and grown, and there's a lot of great existing content. So if you can organize that content, bring it together, then I think you'll be more effective and you're you're saving some time and effort as well. Yeah,
1: that's really awesome, Liz. Yeah, thank you. Obviously, you are pulling from some great experiences. And I know any way that we can definitely look to be thoughtful in our spending is really important in this big, broader conversation of budgeting as a whole. So that makes a lot of sense.
0: Thanks, Ashley. So that is actually all the time we have for today. Want to thank all of our listeners for joining us for this conversation on college budgeting in light of the many changes that are happening in higher education. Um, And a quick plug for SCORE, if you're looking to diversify your enrollment marketing strategy, I definitely recommend checking out our new offering, Managed Subscriptions. So with SCORE's Managed Subscriptions, our engagement strategists, all of whom are previous admission marketing professionals, yours truly included, will develop, execute, and monitor your end-to-end 12-month content and communications plan, which will be uniquely tailored to your institutional objectives. This is not your standard, like, plug-and-play type of experience. We really try to take a very personalized approach to supporting your institutional initiatives and elevating your institution on the SCORE platform. Our team will provide ongoing progress reports for you and performance insights so that you can go ahead and track performance like Ashley and I spoke about earlier today. And we'll also use those data insights to make real-time adjustments to your score presence all in an effort to maximize your results. So if you're interested in learning more about managed subscriptions and, or you'd like to work with me, you can learn more at www.score.com forward slash colleges forward slash managed dash subscriptions. And I hope to have a conversation with you soon. See you next time.